290. And for our markets discussion today, I am joined by Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also Charu Chinana, who is a market strategist at Saxo Markets. Good morning, Charu. Good morning, Caroline. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Now, we're going to get on to some of uh, Saxo's outrageous predictions for 2024 in a little while. But let's start with what's been happening on markets recently. Uh, China data out on Friday was a bit of a mixed bag, but industrial production was a beat. Andrew, what did you make of it overall? Well, I think there's still this concern that, uh, you know, it's an improvement, but you've got to remember it comes off uh, a very low base. China this time last year was still in the last throes of its COVID policy. Um, and the fact that they are focusing, you know, the, the, the Central Committee said they were going to focus on industrial production going forward, um, I think is a little bit of concern because they seem to be ignoring uh, the property sector, which is really the big elephant in the room, that is a, a hindrance to the economy, and more importantly, a, a hindrance to you know individual consumer confidence, which is what China really needs to boost. Chara, what do you think that that China needs to be focused on most? Is it uh, the property and uh, consumer confidence? I mean, actually, I mean, I think really it is the property sector because that is what is really impacting the consumer. You know, there's large amount of excess savings of the consumers that have been parked in that uh, property sector in China. So I think uh, that's really uh, the impact that's coming through also from an investment perspective. Uh, I think the big problem in China really is uh, the property sector and uh, that is kind of having the impact on the whole economy. We did see some announcements come through on Friday on the property sector as well, which boosted the sentiment a little bit, but we've seen those cycles play out so many times over the course of this year. You know, sentiment boosts up a little bit, but uh, the policies continue to underwhelm and uh, they continue to under-deliver on those um, efforts. So uh, I think it's still a wait-and-see game uh, from China, but uh, I think uh, we, are, we are starting to get a little bit cautious as to how much of a stimulus really we can get out of them. So, so it's not really working as yet. Now, over in the US, industrial production returned to growth there following the end of the uh, auto workers strike. Andrew, do you see that uh, boost set to continue or is it just a short term gain? Well, obviously, there are benefits there, but I think the more important thing looking at America is the fact that there will be more wage negotiations. And I'm sure the Fed will be watching that data very closely. Uh, when it's trying to work out what the impact for in inflation going forward. I mean, it, it's put rates on hold. It's suggested that there could be cuts next year, but that's very much dependent on you know the inflation story continuing to trend lower towards its target rate. Um, I think there's you know, not only wage settlements, which always tend to be a lag, but also we're going to see some housing data that also lags in on the uh, inflation side. So. Again, you know, it, it's probably too early to say that um, inflation has been cured and it's still going to be we're going to be on, rather on tender hooks watching to see what the data says. Now, you, you mentioned there a bit of a pushback on cuts last year so, uh, for the Fed. Speaking to CNBC yesterday, the Fed's John Williams was, was one of the ones who did that after the sort of meeting last week signalled that we could be seeing rate cuts. So, Terry, what, what are you expecting from the Fed over the course of uh, next year? 
I mean, so this year, you know, the U.S. economic growth story has a lot been about resilience and that still continues. But I think we are really starting to get cautious about the U.S. consumer as they run out of their savings from here. And uh, I think uh, the high uh, borrowing costs are starting to show an impact on the economy as well. So uh, we, we do think actually, I mean, you know, what Chair Powell signaled um, at uh, the FOMC meeting last uh, week, uh, I think we're going to get something close to that, if not more, probably. I think also we have to keep in mind that uh, going into 2024, it's an election year uh, in the U.S., so I think uh, there will be a huge focus on trying to avoid a steep recession, and uh, that does mean that the Fed rate cuts would potentially come as early as Q1, and uh, we should see something uh, over and above uh, maybe about 100 basis points of rate cuts next year. So how, how might this uh, impact the open of Asian markets today, this, this kind of pushback that we heard from, from John Williams, Sherry? I mean, I think there will be a little bit of an impact, like even we saw with the Wall Street uh, on Friday, right? I mean, they, there was some mixed choppy behavior in equities, a little bit lower uh, bonds. I think we will see uh, uh, the similar tone, at least at the open in Asia. But I think the rest of the Asia, Asian session will still be governed by uh, whether we see any follow through on those uh, property announcements from China. I think, I mean, if you look at the market pricing of the Fed rate cuts, we've seen uh, some very little uh, pushback happening there. I mean, we were uh, about 90 percent, uh, uh, seeing about a 90 percent probability of a Q1 rate cut uh, after that FOMC meeting, with somewhere around 75 to 80 percent still, despite those comments coming in from uh, Fed members. Uh, on Friday. Uh, so, I mean, I think it will just be a, a very, very uh, small impact that we're going to see in the Asian markets today. Andrew, what are you expecting? I guess it's it's also kind of a thin week for trading, this lead up to Christmas too. Yes, I mean, I think we're going to see light volumes. I mean, the more important thing, I think, probably for Asia is is the comments out of the BOJ tomorrow. Um and I think, as, as as was just said, I mean, we're still watching China very closely and to see whether or not there are any real policy changes there, because at the moment it's all been lip service. And I think investors have heard these stories before and, and they'll wait to see real action. Uh, and that's for China and for the BOJ. I think the, the US rate conundrum in some respects is, 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 again, one that people will actually want to see those rate cuts before they're prepared to act on them. Um, I think people will be watching the bond yields very closely, therefore. Now, speaking of the BOJ, what are you expecting from them tomorrow? And what could that mean for the outlook for the yen? Well, I think we're hoping that we get a little bit of clarity on, uh, on, on what they're feeling about when they're going to change from this uh, yield control, um, which they have clearly indicated they want to do. Um, there have been some missteps in the past from the BOJ, and so Ueda is very keen to make sure that when he says they're going to change, that they can actually you know, follow through and uh, implement that to the full extent that he wants to implement it. But I think we're going to see a cautious statement, uh, probably just again reiterating that that is the way they are moving, but they need to see those, you know, the real inflation of a, of a dramatic type coming through. And for them, that means watching the, again, the, the wage settlements that come through in the first quarter. What are you expecting, Charu, from the BOJ? 
I mean, actually, yes, I would agree. You know, BOJ faces a conundrum. I mean, they've uh, said earlier that they want to see the result of those wage negotiations. So uh, now if they move too early. I think that kind of uh, hurts their credibility. Uh, but at the same time, they're also losing that uh, window of opportunity because the more they delay their decision to exit the negative interest rate policy, we might see other global central banks actually starting to cut rates in Q1 next year. And then again, they will be kind of an outlier there. So uh, I think it's a, it's going to be a meeting which, uh, with some difficult communication. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I think overall we, we don't expect the BOJ to do something big. Anything that comes from the Bank of Japan will likely be very, very gradual because of the political risks, because of the liquidity risks involved with any kind of a move there. Uh, but overall, what this means for the yen, really, I mean, yen is a BOJ problem, but it has a Fed solution. So I think the yen really depends on where the U.S. yields go, um, for the short term at least. And uh, that does mean that there's uh, quite a significant re- room for the yen to continue to rally. Okay, let's get on to lighter things now. And at the end of each year, Saxo publishes a selection of outrageous suggestions for markets for the following year. Now, obviously, it's not your official outlook and it is a bit of fun, but you do occasionally hit on something, no matter how crazy it seems. So what are some of the predictions Saxo has made in this report in the past that have ended up much closer to reality than you may have anticipated? Uh, yes, it's actually a very interesting exercise uh, to do this, uh, Caroline. And uh, if I take you back just to last year, I mean, we had this prediction saying that a country could agree to ban all meat production uh, in a few years. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, coming from a sense of uh, how countries could reach climate goals. And, you know, given that the two main contributors to greenhouse gas emissions globally are air travels and meat consumption, we thought maybe, you know, some of the countries would use that, those meat bag uh, uh, methods to kind of uh, meet their climate targets. So, of course, I mean, it's still a stretch to say that it was close, but um, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know if you've heard, but at the recent, uh, you know, UN uh, arranged uh, COP28 meeting there was an agenda really uh, to kind of publish a roadmap for global food systems with a focus on lowering meat consumption. And this was again focused on meeting, uh, you know, climate targets. So, uh, I mean, we maybe may have been a little bit too early on this one, but, you know, there's still a potential that it could come some sometime later in, in the century, probably. And there's others when we talked about Bitcoin in 2017, which where when, when it actually hit a peak, we've talked about gold. And we've talked about a lot of stuff around politics, including Trump's election and Brexit. Uh, So I think uh, there's been really a a range of flavors in our outrageous predictions every year. I love it. Now, let's look ahead to some of the predictions you made for next year. And one of yours is that the suggestion that everyone might stop exercising. Now, why are we all giving up going to the gym? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sure you've seen, you know, those um, uh, weight loss drugs. They've been a wave this year, you know, Novo Nordisk, uh, which actually came up with that uh, Vigovi drug, which helps fight obesity. It has become the most valuable company in Europe, overtaking LVMH. Uh, so it's, it's really been a wave and, um, you know, there's, it's expected that this will continue. You know, baseline assumptions in the market are that demand for the, these drugs will continue to pick up. 
because uh, the governments see a benefit in them with, with, with increased productivity. Uh, if there's a drug that can lower obesity, it can lower the risk of related heart conditions or kidney problems. So it overall increases the global productivity levels. Uh, so there is a potential that uh, we could see insurance coverage for these drugs. Uh, but, you know, like at Saxo, we th- try to think outrageous. So uh, we kind of question that baseline assumption that these drugs will continue to grow in popularity. And uh, we thought that there could be a situation where obviously demand continues to increase. A lot of doctors put a lot of patients on these drugs, but the supply is not there. So, you know, there could be a situation where, um, you know, those uh, companies, Eli Lilly, you know, were noticed, for example, are not able to meet the demand. And, uh, you know, in in, in, in the wait to get onto the drug, a lot of those who have been prescribed the drug stop exercising, you know, stop their uh, usual healthy habits, um, assuming that finally when they get their hands on the drug, they will be able to fight the obesity. And, you know, yeah, I think that kind of results in a dip in global productivity levels. That That is a fa- fascinating, fascinating. Andrew, is this the kind of thing that you do as well? Do you Do you ever, you know, think about making these outrageous predictions? And have you got a quick one for us? I think, unfortunately, a lot of my uh, uh, predictions turn out to be outrageous, but probably for the wrong reason. <laughs> um, but but I, I do think, actually, I did like the Saxo one about JFK winning the uh, the election. And I think that, uh, you know, it could be a, a real test of AI if we could get a third candidate in there. That could be very interesting for the US. Fascinating. Now, Charo, one last one that I want to look at is one of your predictions is the end of capitalism in the US. Is there any way you can explain that in 30 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll try my best. So, I mean, I think uh, there's just um, a growing fiscal need that the U.S. government is facing. If you look at geopolitics, if you look at the tightening financial conditions and the risk of a second wave of inflation, uh, I think uh, with that increased fiscal spending need, uh, you know, and at the same time, stock market, is at least the magnificent seven, which could be think could become the 12 titans with, uh, you know, some of the other companies added to that list as well. You know, investors stay more interested in that. So the government is not able to raise enough money. Uh, so we thought that, you know, they could come up with a plan to kind of make, uh, you know, um, uh, capital gains and uh, coupons uh, on U.S. Treasuries tax-free to divert that money from private corporations to public. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's Cherry Chanana, who is market strategist at Saxo Markets, and Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense.